Amen. Well, we're turning a corner. We're looking, beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So if you want to turn in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And, and going into it, just want to set this up because there's an early phrase in Ephesians chapter 4 that I believe adds emphasis. You know, oftentimes when you get a message or you hear or read words from someone, knowing background can add another level of understanding in regards to the message or what's being said or spoken. And so as we do that, I want us to understand the idea that Paul, as he calls himself in verse 1, is a prisoner of the Lord imploring the church. And keep that in mind as I read the first three verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now knowing where Paul is coming from, I trust that that will add weight to what exactly God is communicating through the Apostle Paul. And if it doesn't, or perhaps this is not a personal experience of yours, I would encourage you to get biographies of saints that have gone on before us so that you can learn of their struggle, so that you can learn of the perseverance that God exhibited in their lives, so that you can see the strength of their faith in action. Because of all, as all of us admitted to, or most of us admitted to, we come to those places in life where we just stop and say, Lord, help me. I'm in need of help. And that rarely happens when everything's going good. And we get in those situations. And so I would encourage you through biographies and through history of the saints that have gone on before us to learn and to be encouraged. We see it throughout the pages of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 7, what Stephen encountered as he was martyred for his faith and the proclamation of the gospel that he clearly presented to those who thought they knew God. And they thought their view of God was correct. We see it later in Acts chapter 12 where James was put to death by the sword just at the whim of some silly king trying to gain some favor among the people. See those and see the history of the saints that have gone on before us in perspective of the lives that we live, and especially of the Apostle Paul, who here clearly declares, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He knew legally, according to the law of the land, he shouldn't have been in prison. But he also knew, and made clear in a number of other passages, that This imprisonment was for the advance of the gospel. And therefore, from that perspective, I trust you see the full weight of what's taking place in Paul's life. And not only what's taking place in his life, but in what he's communicating 
to this early church, Paul's earthly circumstances were radically changed because of his stand for the gospel. I'm just curious this morning, anyone here been imprisoned because of your testimony of the gospel? Of, there may be, because I know there are people sitting in this room from other parts of the world. And we've prayed over all of last year for brothers and sisters in Christ who have faced that. Anyone here, has that happened to you? If so, I would, I would want to hear from your testimony. It's not happened to me. And by the fact that no one raised their hand, I'm going to take you at your word and say, it hasn't happened to you. Therefore, what keeps us from living this call of Christ on our life? Well, let me just give you a little more insight into the background of God using the Apostle Paul to write this. Because in doing so, he's coming from an earthly position that he saw as gain and for the glory of God. He wrote it this way in another one of his letters. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things for the loss in view, excuse me, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Wow, is that a perspective for life on this earth? Let me ask again for testimony. How many of us live that perspective? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was calling for as he calls for them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which they have been called. And it's important that we see here that added emphasis from this prisoner of the Lord who's imploring his brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, the gathering of the saints, to arrive at a new orientation and definition of life as we know it. You've heard that phrase, the new normal. Too many of us know the newness of God's grace, and we're still living the oldness of the life that we had before. We've not been so impacted by God's grace that everything in us calls out as the Apostle Paul was saying, no, look, I count everything, anything that I would lose, I count as gain in respect to knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Too many of us have been brought up in an easy believism that think, oh, it's just something else I can add to who I am, along with maybe degrees we earned in college or accomplishments we've had in this world. Yeah, Christianity is just one of those. If that's your view of Christianity, you do not see Christianity as the New Testament presents it. And as someone like the Apostle Paul, imprisoned for his faith, is now trying to redirect their very thought and perspective and definition of how they're to live their life as believers. Curtis Vaughn, in his commentary, writes that chapter 4, verse 1, is a pivotal verse to the entire structure of this epistle. In other words, he goes on to explain that this admonition 
that the Apostle Paul is just the beginning of a whole string of directives as to how the Christian life is to be lived in surrender to Jesus Christ. John Calvin writes that Paul's walk worthy is a preface to all of the following statements he's getting ready to make. And both of those gentlemen were talking not only in the immediate context, but in chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. It truly is that turning point as we're called to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed upon us in Christ from this one who is imprisoned and even counts that as gain because of the sake of the gospel. This walk worthy is synonymous with the life we're to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And you see it spelled out in the remainder of the epistle. Later on in chapter 4, as the apostle talks about the church and the contrast in the church between light and darkness. Verse 17, he says in chapter 4, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. See, that's those of us who have experienced the newness of God's grace, but still live like we used to live. That's not living according to grace. And he writes a whole section about that. We see it in chapter 5, in the contrast between the the light of the lordship of Jesus Christ and the darkness of our former life. Too many of us believers are still walking around in the shadows. And then we see at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, the comparison in relationships we have in regards to marriage and parents and children and employers and employees. And then finally, the fact that in every aspect of our life, We're to live in the strength of the Lord because our battle is not against flesh and blood. As long as you're living your life battling flesh and blood, you're not living in a walk that's worthy of what Christ has called you to. It's a spiritual battle, and thus he goes through those those, uh, analogies of the armor like a soldier would put on. But it's not physical. And so even looking back at the end of chapter 3, Paul's doxology and benediction in this prayer that he was praying for the early church leads to this turning point where he prays that the Ephesians would even have such an intimate knowledge of Christ that they wouldn't know anything else except that which surpasses knowledge. In other words, not anything you can get on your own but Christ who has come from above and lives within you and now takes you to a whole nother level. So if you wonder why you're not walking worthy is you're still walking on this level and not his level. It's time that we understand the seriousness of what the Apostle Paul is admonishing the church here. The specific instruction that God's giving to his people as to how he is glorified. And again, you see it in chapter 3, leading up to this seriousness of the admonition. And as chapter 3 points out, just as chapter 1 points out, it's all about God's glory. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that God's to be glorified through the church, 
through his people, knowing this power that works within them, that's from him. And it's him at work in us so that he gets all the glory. Read chapter 3. That's what it's talking about. And let me just remind you, in case you somehow may think higher of yourself than you should, you can do nothing of yourself that produces God's glory. You can do nothing of yourself that produces God's glory. You can't cause it. You can't bring it about. You can only receive it and reveal it because it's of God. And let me tell you, if there's anything opposite of you, it's God's glory. So you just plug in whatever you think of you and God's glory is the opposite. That's how different our very natures are between us and God. This is serious stuff, and this is what God is calling us to, and He's calling us to it because He's provided His glory through Christ. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us? For by grace we're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. See, just when you thought, well, Pastor John's getting a little bit mean saying, I'm opposite of God. Yeah, the beginning of chapter 2 says, you are children of wrath, you are children of disobedience, you are deserving of death, but God, verse 4, rich in mercy, it's a gift from God given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So God saves us. Yes, he saves us from sin and death and hell and the curse of sin. But let's keep it on you for a minute. He's saving you from you. That's the gracious salvation of God given as a gift through what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And Ephesians 1 reminds us God had all this planned out before there was even any of this. <laughs> before the foundations of the world. But don't forget verse 10, because verse 10 to me is part of the key that leads us to the imploring that the Apostle Paul is sharing with the church. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his, that's God's, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now don't unhitch that from verses 8 and 9 because verses 8 and 9 make it clear that we're only saved by a gift of God's grace in what he's done through Christ. So don't think that verse 10 calling you part of God's work has anything to do with you. It's on the tail of all that he's given us in Christ. Somebody come go with me. Do you see that? We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, so that we would walk in them. That's the grace of God. That's 
the worthy walk that the Apostle Paul is calling the church to. It's a life lived within what God has planned and prepared in Christ, realized in and through us by what God has done. So that's salvation. The rest of the message this morning is going to have to do with the surrender. Because you may be sitting here this morning thinking, but wait a minute, I know I've been saved by Jesus Christ. Why am I still living like this instead of like him? Your problem is surrender. You won't come out of the light. I mean, excuse me, you won't come out of the darkness and fully expose yourself to the light. Why? Well, Jesus answered that in John chapter 3. The light exposes deeds of darkness. And if you're still meddling in those deeds of darkness, that's why you have trouble walking worthy. Come on, let's get personal now. That's why the Apostle Paul had to write to the church in the first century, and it's just as applicable to the church in the 21st century. I implore you to walk worthy. Not worthy by your standard. Not worthy by his standard. Not worthy by their standard. It's the only standard, which is God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ. That's the standard. Anybody there yet? (laughs) It's that gift of salvation that saves us. And then as sanctification would be described... It's our surrender to that work of God within us. He prayed that just before he wrote this in verses 19 through 21. That the power that works, chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, that the power that works within us, that power that's from God, would give us strength in the inner man. Why? Because none of us can produce God's glory. None of us even have a connection to it. We're not even stabbing at the dark in it. And so this surrender is what the Apostle Paul, as God is speaking through him, calling the church to walk worthy. And oftentimes, to understand what something is, it's easier to understand what it's not. You know, knowing what something's not can often help in knowing what something is. Perhaps you've looked at your tire and you realized it was flat and someone comes along and says, yeah, but it's only flat on the bottom. It may only look flat on the bottom, but it still ain't going to work. And so by looking at this, understand that the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of God within us to strengthen our inner man to Know and understand knowledge that surpasses knowledge is the power of God at work within us. And the power of God at work within us has nothing to do with us improving ourselves. I couldn't find a specific statistic, but it would be staggering to know, we can just go back the last five or ten years, what the self-improvement industry has made as far as dollars. Self-improvement books, self-improvement tapes, self-improvement videos, self-improvement podcasts, self-improvement downloads. It's probably a number all of us couldn't even guess together. 
That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. God doesn't want you to just be a better sinner. Even though you're really good at sin already, and you claim that you're a sinner, God just doesn't want you to improve as a sinner. God wants his power at work within you to grow you and to conform you, as the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. See, a sinner who lives a better life is just being deceived. Well, I don't cuss like I used to. No, but your tongue sure bleeds a lot because you have to catch it, you know, right there at the last minute. That's just being a better sinner. That's not being surrendered. And oftentimes we do like this. Well, I'm not like that person who claims to be a Christian. Or we use terms like this. I'm a better Christian. Have you ever stopped to think of what that means? If someone's in Christ, they're in Christ, and their only righteousness is in Christ. How are you a better Christian? Because there's nothing more than Christ. You may just be better at hiding your sin than that Christian over there. But I hope you get the picture. Paul is calling them to walk worthy. To walk worthy. And as he wrote at the end of chapter 3, All of this is empowered by him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power. See, not what you ask or think, but it's according to, he goes on, according to the power that works within us. Why? To him, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. See how it's not you, and see how you can't produce God's glory, and see how walking worthy is just surrendering to what God has already done? Oh, but we as Americans, that's the last thing we want to do is surrender. I have my rights. Folks, that's what our country was founded on. It's in our DNA. It's all about my personal rights. Let me tell you, don't stand before God and demand your personal rights. And if you do, good luck with that. Because you don't stand a chance. See, this idea of surrender is so difficult. And the reason behind the admonition to walk worthy is that we would live as he describes in the next couple of verses. Again, not of our own doing, but based upon what God has already done for us in Christ. So, look at the next few verses. Chapter 2. This walking worthy with all humility. Okay, if you want to make a checklist, we pretty much all just lost on that one. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. Moms, check yourself off on that one. Showing tolerance or forbearance, your translation may say, for one another in love. Now let me remind you, God's glory and what God's done for us in Christ is not a checklist. So if you're sitting there thinking, I got two out of four. 
If you're not in Christ, you'll burn in hell just like everybody who got zero out of four. It's not a checklist. It's not a how good are you list. It's a here's what walking worthy looks like list. And some of us are probably actually thinking today, or we've had this thought in our mind before of, you know, I could have really been prideful in that situation, and I acted in humility. It'll sink in with the rest of you in just a minute. Everybody got it? It's a key to moving forward in the text. I'm so humble. No, I hide my humility trophy. I think some of the rest of you are catching up. See, it's not that. It's not me acting humble in a prideful situation. Probably most of us who are older have had to do that because we were forced to. Gentleness. <laughs> Gentleness. I just, that's hard to comprehend. Gentleness. See, it's not just you acting nice in a certain situation. And everyone who didn't know you walked away from that situation going, that's kind of a gentle person. And everyone who knew you in that situation walked away going, what happened to him? (laughs) See, it's not something we work up on our own. Patience. Ah, we may be sitting there very calmly in the doctor's office, but by the time you get called back, you wish they had taken your blood pressure when you first came in instead of for how long you had to sit there and wait for your appointment. You know why your blood pressure went up? You were only exhibiting patience. You weren't really patient. Because you were thinking of all the other things you should have been doing, could have been doing. Why am I sitting here? My appointment was it's 10, it's 10.30, and I haven't been called back yet. And before you know it, things are just bubbling out of control. Showing forbearance towards others in love. It means a whole lot more than just putting up with people. But that's when most of us figure we're forbearing or we're tolerant towards others. Yeah, they'll go away eventually. I'll just sit here with a smile on my face. Okay. See, all of those things we do in and of our own strength, that's not what the Apostle Paul is calling us to. The Apostle Paul is calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called And that calling is the call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the strength that the Apostle Paul was praying at the end of chapter 3 would be at work in the inner man, going beyond what we can think or imagine. Because in all those illustrations we just shared, probably most of you could relate to one or some of those, and you realize, "Um, 
Yeah, I just kind of had to sit there and take it. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. We're to live the call of God in Christ as a worthy life, a single calling, a calling in Christ that God has placed upon His people. And it's going to bear out like verses 4 and 5. That's the only reason we didn't include a few more verses. Because if you don't understand the call to walk worthy, looking at verses 4 and 5, look at them if you would, because I just want to reference them. That call of walking worthy bears out in one body, one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See, that's what it's going to look like. That's the result. This unity is found only in what God has done in Christ. And through the church, it's God's desire that that be revealed in the lives of the saints to the glory of God. And anything living outside of that is not surrender, or let me make it a little more clear, disobedience to God. Disobedience to God is not walking worthy. Disobedience is an unworthy walk for someone who's privileged to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Think of the privilege that God has bestowed upon you. And if you need a reminder, go back and read chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 of the riches in His grace that He has lavished upon us, the Bible says. And don't think that so-and-so is impossible or outside of the reach of God's grace or the power of God at work within them. I'm certain none of you have ever done this, but I know of people who have come across biblical truths and thought, never that person. By the way, there's probably people who have thought that about you. See, it's the work of God in Christ through His grace. And that's what's all explained in the three chapters leading up to this call of walking worthy. It's walking in a life according to God's way as God has planned. And so really we have to stop. I mean, I mean we literally need to stop. Does my life plans line up with a worthy walk of God? Oftentimes we're not in surrender and obedience because we intentionally and sometimes accidentally put ourselves in situations where what God would have done isn't even a consideration. And we get ourselves in those kind of situations. Folks, if it's not your desire or your plan, go back and hear from the one whom God is using to relay this message. I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy. When you pray today, when you leave this building today, I highly doubt any of us are going to be all on board about, God, let me be wrongfully thrown into prison for your glory. In fact, most of us, that probably wasn't even on our calendar. I would say all of us. Because it's that orientation of surrender to God. And our interference by sin 
and sin's disobedience, maybe even ignorance, is what hinders the power of God working in us to bring us to a humility, a gentleness, and a patience, and a love, which are Christ-like attributes that are not being revealed to the fullness of what God desires. And so today, if you think you're beyond it or you think someone else is beyond it, let me remind you of the illustration that the Apostle Paul uses at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And he calls it this incredible mystery of which he was to proclaim that even Jew and Gentile are brought together and reconciled as one by the blood of Christ's cross. Now, that doesn't hold as much weight and power to us because we don't have a full understanding of what that was like in the first century. But folks, let me tell you, it's Republican and Democrat. Come on now. We live in a hate-oriented society. And the only way reconciliation takes place is through the blood of Christ's cross. That may be where most of you have difficulty with humility, patience, gentleness, and loving others is when it comes to politics. I see it on some of your social media. No, I don't respond often on social media, but it hurts my heart to read some of it, especially people I know who claim to be Christians. God, forgive us. God, have mercy on us. Because the only reconciliation is going to come through Christ's cross. And let me just be as blunt as I can. Your standing with God and walking worthy has nothing to do with which political party you're affiliated with. Absolutely nothing. Because it doesn't matter which one you're affiliated with. What the Apostle Paul is saying, walk worthy according to the call of Christ. Walk worthy. And, and just to clarify, in case someone doesn't understand the antithetical view of what it means to walk worthy as I've been displaying and what we shouldn't be doing, let me just make it crystal clear. Because God did not inspire the Apostle Paul to write this. Oh, you just need to realize some latent potential power that's within you. That's not what he's saying. Not what he's saying at all. You discount the last half of Ephesians chapter 3 if you think that. Folks, God's already provided everything in Christ. Live in what Christ has already done. God's not saying... God's not saying to improve yourself. The calling is to surrender to Christ. The calling is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And you notice in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. That has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with your submission to God's Holy Spirit. See, the unity of the Spirit's already been provided for in what Christ has done. 
See, verse 3 doesn't say build some kind of unity or make some kind of unity. Folks, the unity's already there amongst all those who are reconciled by the blood of Christ into one. The unity's already there. God have mercy on us. And perhaps today, the nightmare of our sin and compromise is what keeps us from living the dream of life in Christ as God intended it. James, Stephen, both of whom had their, both of who had their life taken as martyrs for Christ, the Apostle Paul, sitting in prison. That was their worthy walk. And most of us can't stand it when our tire does go flat. Walk worthy. They walked worthy even when they were literally and physically chained by the powers of this world. They walked worthy. Why? Because of the cross of Christ. Because of the strength that was in them. That was the power of God. That's a worthy walk. What's hindering your walk today?